Hi. I'm Steve. I'm a sinner. And I'm not the only one. Does that make you a bit uncomfortable? It's through acknowledging our failures, our stumbles, and our faults that we grow. Everyone falls down. Everyone stumbles. It's a perfect metaphor in how a toddler learns to walk. They fall down many times. And their parents are always careful to make sure it's in a safe way that they fall down so they can get back up. Our little granddaughter is learning to swim. She's going to swallow a lot of water before she learns how to, how to breathe properly in that technique. You know, we all fail, we all fall down. It is often the pathway to growth. In fact, some of the great leaders of our nation have understood this. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed, famous quote. I've just discovered 10,000 ways that won't work. It's an opportunity. Every failure is an opportunity to go a different way, to learn a different path, and to acknowledge that the path you chose was not the right path. But you don't have to go all the way back there. You can go to a contemporary, Bill Gates, one of the great entrepreneurs of our age. He said, it's fine to celebrate your success, and believe me, he's had a few. But he said, it's more important to heed the lessons of our failures, we tend to agree. And historically, uh, one of the greatest quotes concerning this was uh, Teddy Roosevelt speaking in France once said, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, though checkered with failure. <laughs> Had to acknowledge that not all of those will succeed. Better that, though, than to rank with those poor souls who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. They don't attempt their next big thing. You know, if you have the courage to um, attempt what God would have you do, and I believe that if you prayed for that and, and you've been uh, in his word, in your meditation, I believe that he will prompt you to know exactly what that is. No matter how much you try to fight it, it will become obvious for you. If you attempt your next big thing, the question is not will you fail. The question is what will you do when you fail? How will you overcome the setback? You know, what will you learn from that? You know, what will you take with you as you go further on the journey... And what will you understand is necessary for you to leave behind? Over my head, I've asked the staff to post a couple of pictures. Uh, this fellow on the left is just called Bill W. He used to begin meetings by saying, hi, I'm Bill. In fact, it became a, a means of greeting in the society that he created, which was called Alcoholics Anonymous, which was the reason for my strange greeting this morning as well. You know, he understood and came to appreciate uh, that he would have to acknowledge his failures. Uh, this was in the 1930s after Prohibition had been set aside and, and America was enjoying drink again. 
but not everybody can freely drink without uh, drink abusing the person. And he was one of those guys. A successful, capable person lost his job on Wall Street. Had earned a law degree, but was too drunk to go and receive his diploma. Those were the days when it was considered an incurable disease. People were committed to insane asylums. He was hospitalized four times until he discovered a Christian group out of Oxford, England, that would help him understand there's a spiritual basis for the struggle that you're in and the evil that wants to destroy you. You know, through that experience, he was finally able to cry out, I'll do anything, anything at all, if God will just show himself to me, just challenge God. And uh, he was not a godly person, and yet by making that statement, he said he suddenly felt a a warm sensation come over his whole being and a serenity that he had never felt before. He gave his life to Christ. He eventually also dedicated his life to helping other people overcome addictions that they seem powerless to overcome. Uh, he wrote the big book, which is the, the 12-step recovery process that has been copied in so many different kind of compulsive, addictive behavior help groups. Originally, though, he just had six steps for recovery. I'd like to look at them with you now, and I'd like to examine our text in a moment as we look at the failure of Israel uh, in light of his six steps of recovery, because I think they're biblical. First, you must admit that you are powerless to control your situation, number one. Secondly, you must recognize the need for a higher power. Now, for him, that was Christ. But he said, you know, if you, if you can't believe this truth about Jesus Christ and what God has done for you in sending his own son, Christ Jesus, you know, just acknowledge there is a God. Hopefully, you will come to realize who that God is by name, and you'll come to realize what that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. But let's just start there. Let's not make that the tripper for you immediately. So just recognize the need for a higher power, something beyond yourself. You need to be bluntly honest about your past failure. I'm going to get to that one in a moment. Number four, you need to make amends to others for your past errors. And five, you must learn to live a new life under a new code of behavior. You can't keep doing what you've done before and expect a different outcome. And six, and I'm amazed that he discovered this. I think this is so biblically true, but it's a nuance that most miss. You must help others. Because there's an added benefit that when you do that, uh, you also help yourself. I think this is the reason that God doesn't snatch us right to heaven the moment that we come to faith. You know, there's much to be accomplished. And it's not just for the benefit of those we help, but also to our benefit as we reinforce by behavior and, and by sharing those things that we know to be true. You know, Pastor Garrett and myself or anybody who ever teaches the Bible, leads a Bible class, will will tell you that we gain more from our preparation and in our teaching and in our sharing than probably those who receive the help. Well, let's take a look at uh, the scripture. It's from Joshua chapter 7 and 8. It's uh, fairly long, but it's uh, interesting and intriguing and it's filled with activity. So I, I think you'll be able to follow along. Uh, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'll interpose some explanation between what happens after their failure and God's redirecting of a more successful endeavor. Beginning at Joshua 7 then, 
the story of post-Jericho. After they had defeated the city of Jericho, the next city on the agenda was Ai, A-I. And they were going to go up and attack Ai and begin to, <coughs> excuse me, begin to conquer the, the promised land that God had a long time ago promised Abraham that they would enter. Now Moses sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the whole region, just like he had sent spies before to go to Jericho. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army. So the men went up and they spied out Ai, for only a few people lived there. Now we come to understand later in the text, I'm not going to read it, but there were uh, 12,000 warriors in Ai, so they considered that only a few people. They were going to send only 3,000. So about 3,000 went up. But when they got there, they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them as they fled before their enemy. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and they struck them down on the slopes. Now at this, the hearts of the people, the entire nation of Israel, melted in fear and became like water. You know, all their courage ran away. Then Joshua rent his clothing, which was a, a sign of uh, frustration, a sign of repentance, a sign of anger uh, in the Jewish culture, tore his clothes and he fell face down before, on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. And the elders of Israel did the same. And they threw dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, finally in prayer to God, angry, confused by their defeat, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Did you do this just to destroy us? Are you playing with us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Why did you do this? Blaming God for what took place. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country. He wasn't worried about only this defeat, but what it would mean in terms of their opposition upcoming. They were going to hear about this, and they will surround us, and they will wipe our name off from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up on your feet, son. What are you doing lying there on your face? Israel has sinned. This isn't my failure. This is your failure. For some among you have violated my promise, my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they, they stole from the city of Jericho. See, God reinforces this principle of the tithe. Uh, the first of everything is to be dedicated to God. You know, in, in fact, that's why they went up to the temple for Jesus, to dedicate their child. Now, believe me, the pastors don't want you to bring all their children to us to raise. Uh, but they would bring their child up to the temple and they would make an offering for him. Because they realized that child too was God's child. It was special. It was God who gave them this child. And it was just a way in which they remembered. When they had a harvest, they always took a first part of their crop uh, and made an offering with it. Just a reminder, this is from God and we still do that today the first of our receipts go to God and the first city they conquered was to be God's they were not to take anything they were to dedicate it alone to the Lord um, but they stole from it 
And then they lied about it. They have, they have put them with their own possessions. They put the things they've stolen with their own possessions. Now, Joshua didn't know this, that Achan and uh, perhaps even others had, had stolen from Jericho, a city that was dedicated only to the Lord. They were to take none of the plunder for themselves. And so he called the people out and he said, Step forward if you have violated the Lord's commands. How many people stepped forward? None. <laughs> and so they cast lots and they found the tribe based on the way God told them to discern things. They cast lots and it fell to the tribe. And then they cast lots and it fell to the clan. And then they cast lots and it fell to the family. And you can imagine Achan now because they cast lots and it fell to a man. And Joshua challenged him and said, have you violated the command of God? Have you stolen things from the city that was dedicated as an offering to God? And he confessed that he had. And he repented before the nation. He was forgiven. And then for the consequence of his sin, he was stoned. And then they went forward and God said, now that you have dealt with your error, not mine, we can move forward again. And so let me pick it up with chapter 8 as they go again towards the city of Ai. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, despite your setback, despite your failure, despite the courage that the nations around you now feel, take the whole army with you, make a show, and go up and attack the city of Ai again. For I have delivered it into your hands, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Here's how you should do it. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you this time may carry off the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men, <laughs> no longer three, 30, maybe for the courage of the soldiers, but also to impress the people of Ai. His best fighting men, and he set them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to lay an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all of those with me will advance towards the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will, as we did before, flee before them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, look, they're running away, just as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and you are to take the city behind them. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. I have given you my orders. And after you have set the city on fire and they turn to face you, you come from behind and we will come from before and we will destroy their army. And so it was. Israel had stumbled. Israel had fallen. And Joshua and all of the people's hearts melted and ran away like water. And God said, we need to move on past our failure. Everyone stumbles, everybody falls. What will you take forward with you and what will you leave behind? Let's take a look. First of all, you have to recognize that you are powerless to control your situation. This was an important lesson. It's an important lesson for all of us. You know, Joshua... Uh, wasn't responsible for every person. And in any situation, there are always going to be those uh, who will be unfaithful. Uh, God knew this, and he would make an example out of Achan. 
you know, so that people would realize that uh, you can't always control things, Joshua. Uh, others will sometimes suffer consequence because of the behavior of an unfaithful person. And you need to learn this lesson, Joshua. And, and so uh, you can't always control every situation. In fact, there's a scripture that says, uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against equals. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Not only will other people disappoint us, but there are spiritual forces that are powerful at work against us as we attempt our next big thing for the Lord. We can expect some opposition. The devil and those who heed him, whether they be people or his own fallen angels, uh, will try to discourage you from pursuing your way. Israel needed to learn this lesson. Israel needed to learn this lesson and the behavior of others uh, also sometimes impacts our life. We should understand that some things are outside of our control. There will be setbacks that we will face that we cannot necessarily anticipate. Step two. Recognize your need for God's help. It's interesting that the success they had at Jericho had pumped them up. You know, they went and spied out the land. They knew how many people were there. Uh, a few people is not quite accurate. There were 12,000 warriors in the city of Ai. And they said, look, you know, we're pretty tough warriors. Just 3,000. Don't bother the whole army, Joshua. You know, they had a degree of swagger. I once heard Paul Harvey comment about a wedding that he had gone to hear, and the pastor had mentioned, uh, you know, that you should make your vows for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And, and uh, people, of course, want better riches and healthy. You know, they think that that's the way to success in life. When, in fact, success in life can become as big a tripper for you as hardship. Hardship throws you to your knees, keeps you mindful of the necessity of God in your life. But sometimes success makes us believe that by our own strength, by our own power, you know, we've accomplished this, these things. And, and God was concerned that Israel had gotten to that place, that they had believed by their strength, by their power, oh, 3,000 will be enough. That's all we need to go forward. God needed to remind them that uh, they still had need for God's help. We're going to see it in a minute. They needed to be reminded that they still needed God's help. Uh, past success can be as dangerous as past failure. So when we talk about leveraging your past, you should also understand that as you prayed and as God answered your prayer, don't just focus on the success. Focus on the fact that God granted you that success. I think that's why it's so important to teach a child or, or the reason that Jesus called out that one leper out of ten that came back and said thank you. Remember, God heard your prayer. Remember, God granted you the success. Remember, God gave you your health. God provided for you the job that you think you worked so hard uh, to achieve your success. Step number three. Be brutally honest about your past failure. Joshua threw himself down in front of uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbolic presence of God in their midst. And he blamed God for bringing them across the Jordan. Why not just leave us over there? Why bring us over here to die? And now all the people 
in the entire land will believe that they can defeat us and our name will be wiped out and, and it will be to your shame, God, that this will be done. Not even thinking for a moment that he had been responsible or that there had been sin in his camp. Israel needed to learn that they were responsible for the failure and the danger of compromise. I say there's a reason your mother made you apologize as a child. You know, occasionally we're with our grandkids or may even be with your kids and, and they may be disrespectful. And um, uh, the temptation of a parent is to say, now you need to apologize for that. You know, you don't talk to your grandma or your grandpa like that or you don't talk to an adult like that. And sometimes the adult, well-meaning, will say, oh, no, I understand. They're just children. You know, I can overlook that. I, don't, don't worry about it. Don't make them feel bad. No, make them feel bad. Because <laughs> this is an important lesson that they need to learn early on. You're training a child in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. There's a reason why in our services we honor confession. That we stop and remember, Lord, except by your grace, except by your favor, you know, we have no right to expect your blessing in our life. And so in almost every service, there's a time like we had today where we look at Psalm 51 and, and we ask God to create in us a clean heart. You know, we have to go back and touch base and we have to acknowledge that, you know, we need to be uh, forgiven. We need to relinquish our sin and be restored by God. Be bluntly honest about your past failures. Israel needs to learn that lesson. Step four, make amends for past failure. There was going to be consequence. It didn't mean that Achan was not forgiven. Uh, you know, when, when we commit sin, there is often consequence that we bring upon ourselves or we bring upon others. You know, we need to acknowledge that uh, we have hurt other people. And it's always important to go back and, and to deal with that. You know, before they could move forward, they were going to have to move back. God needed that they would stop and the entire nation would realize that there was a, a sin to be addressed. And so they cast the lots. They took the time. They discovered the one who had fallen. And they addressed it. Israel needed to deal with the violation of God's directive. Uh, before he could go forward, he had to go back. That's true for us as well. You know, don't say to yourself, well, that was then and this is now. And, you know, I, I may have offended those people, but... You know, they're just going to have to deal with it. I'm not the same person anymore. It's important for you to touch base. I can tell you how many times I write personal notes. You know, I make lists of people that I might have offended. And, and uh, it doesn't always make it right just to say you're sorry. But it's still important for you to say you're sorry. You shouldn't just carry that forward. You should relinquish that. You should make amends. You should move forward with a clean heart. You know, the Bible says, in as much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all people. It's an important phrase, as much as it is possible with you. They may not receive your apology. They may not want to make amends, but that's on them. But for you, you should make amends and you should relinquish. Step five, learn to live under a new code of behavior. They were going to be given new directives. No longer 3,000 people, no longer an easy thing. They were going to go up in might and in force. 30,000 were going to lay in ambush. There was a new directive. You know, a, a new means by which God was going to uh, accomplish this victory. And in this new way, uh, God was going to show them that he was still with them. And this could still be accomplished. 
but past behavior was going to have to be set aside. You know, Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, realized that there were some people that just couldn't even drink casually. There was going to have to be a, a new behavior, a new code altogether, and that was just going to have to be set aside. And it's the same with us, too. You can't keep dabbling in your past if your past has gotten you into trouble. You know, you have to move away from that. You have to realize that uh, the forgiveness that you have in God uh, gives you the opportunity to have a new life and then embrace the new life. I like to say that the law was given by the same God who gave us Jesus and for the very same reason. Sometimes when we think about what God wants us to do, do this and don't do that, we think, well, God's just testing us. God's just seeing if we can walk the line. He wants to determine our degree of faithfulness. Well, in fact, that's not the case at all. God has given you his directives because that's the best way for you to live. It's a new code of behavior. You know, whenever you uh, buy a new piece of equipment or a new cart, whatever it is, a new refrigerator, and whatever that it is, you put a swing set in your backyard, it's important that you read the instruction manual. You know, that that person who designed it, there's a proper way and there's an improper way for it to work. You're going to get yourself in trouble if you don't know what those ways are. Uh, the instruction manual for our life comes from a God who wants you to maximize your existence. And uh, the Ten Commandments and all that he says you should do is not just to prove yourself faithful. He's forgiven you. You're perfect before him. It's because he wants to maximize your existence on earth. Step six. Help others with the added benefit of helping yourself. This was going to be a team effort this time. It wasn't going to be 3,000 people to attack the gates and, and the other people stayed behind. No, God was going to show them the necessity of counting on each other. There would be an ambush team. There would be a team with Joshua. And, and together they would do this thing. It's important for us to realize that we do need each other. God has put us in community. In, in fact, even the way he caused us to be born into a family, you know, helpless as a child. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen deer, uh, does, a drop a fawn uh, in our backyard. And within the end of the day, that fawn is up and running behind its mother across the neighborhood. Not so our children. They need us for 40 years. Or at least 18. Or 24. You know, and in that process, there's an understanding of family. There's an understanding of a of a need for people to rely on each other and care for each other. It's the way God designed life. And he also restored a respect for Joshua as a leader. Joshua was afraid that, uh, you know, Moses had such confidence uh, in his leadership because God had instilled it in him. Uh, what with Joshua now having suffered defeat so early? And, and so God said, Joshua, what do you have in your hand? He said, a javelin. He says, as long as you hold the javelin in your hand, your army will have success. And the people should look to you. And, and so in that way, God also cared about the leadership of Joshua. And he restored his leadership as he held that javelin in his hand. And as the army saw it, they had confidence that God would grant them the victory that they needed. The best life is a, is a shared life. That's absolutely so true. I love that Pastor Garrett has called us to 40 days of prayer. And I love that he called us to unity under godly leadership. And I, I love this this second uh, emphasis for these second 10 days where he's asked us to have the courage to share our faith. You know, there are people who will never come to our church. There are people who will uh, not listen to me or, or consult, you know, our 
website. But there are people that you have in your life that will listen to you because you have a relationship with them. And by helping them come to understand the Lord's love for them, it will reinforce in your own mind how much God loves you. You will be blessed by sharing, by having the courage of your conviction. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says, don't be like a person who just looks in a mirror in the morning and then walks away. You know, you've been here on Sunday, you've touched base with God, and then the rest of your life has nothing to do with God. No, take your actions with you, he says. And by doing those things every day, you become a witness to yourself. And your faith grows and you mature and you receive the blessings of continued growth and continued maturity. You know, as we go on our journey for our next big thing, there are things that we need to leave behind. There are mistakes that we need to uh, admit. There are amends that we need to make. And then there's the courage that we need to claim again. It's because of God's love has shown us in Christ Jesus. We began this message by talking about those who fall down.